0: Welcome to the Andy Social Podcast. My name is Andy Dowling. This is episode 164 with art director and photographer Liam Wong. But before we kick into that episode, we, Being Lord, that metal band that I play bass in, has a new album coming out very, very soon. And if you've been listening to this podcast for the last several months, you're probably sick and tired of me talking about this album that we have done nothing about as far as announcing anything. And we have been working really hard behind the scenes. But stay tuned, we are so close to announcing this album. So you can go over to lord.net.au in the meantime, especially if you haven't heard of the band before. We've got our whole back catalog. We've got video clips. We've got Spotify playlists. Um, it's just really, really easy to get a taste of what we're all about. There are also social media links to all the platforms Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Um, well, I don't know. There's a whole bunch of others that we've no doubt on YouTube as well. Um, so as soon as we announce something, if you're following us on any of the socials, you'll be able to get an alert straight away. So the best way to get this information ASAP, because you know these podcasts sometimes are a little bit delayed. So, you might not get that information as quickly as you may desire. But go and check it out, lord.net.au. We've got a new album coming out really soon. I am stoked and so pumped about the music. It is really, really good. I, If you guys have loved any of that stuff that we've done before, I think I'll put money on it. I'll put something on it. Maybe, maybe I shouldn't do that. But I believe there's a very high chance that you guys are really going to enjoy this. So stay tuned very, very shortly, hopefully before the end of January. But I don't want to put any extra pressure on anybody. So we'll see what happens. lord.net.au. Check it out. Because I'm a bit of a podcast maniac, I also have a second podcast called the Self-Starter Podcast. So if you're interested... It's all about small business, self-employment, and freelancing. So if self-employment is something that floats your boat, or you've got some interest in, and depending on what stage of your journey, your self-employment journey you're on, you could be um, ready to launch your own business. You could be doing some uh, freelance work. You could be doing a little bit of uh, work on the side, some contract work, getting a bit of extra pocket money on the weekends, whatever it might be, go and check out Self Starter over at selfstarter.com.au. You can check out the podcast. Season one's wrapped up as of the end of 2018. Season two is going to kick off in June of this year, 2019. And in the meantime, I am recording season two, but also uh, producing a lot more blog content. So for anybody listening at the time of this episode coming out, you would have seen that I've finally pulled my finger out and started kicking back into blog posts. So go and check out selfstarter.com.au. Go and check out the podcast if you haven't already, and also go over to the blog section and read some of the uh, little blog posts that I've been putting up on different topics that link back into the uh, episodes from season one. So there's lots of content there. If you know of anybody that needs a little bit of a kick and a little bit of inspiration, there may be self-starters for them as well. So go and check it out, selfstarter.com.au. Thank you. This week's shout out. So if you are new to the podcast each and every week, I thank somebody that supports me or the band or whatever I'm involved with. It doesn't matter. And it can be in a range of different ways. It could be leaving a review online, you know, whether it be Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or Facebook or whatever. It doesn't matter. No, bulletin board, whatever. Um, it could be a guest recommendation. It could be buying a t-shirt from the online store. It could be shouting me a beer via the PayPal button over at andysocial.net. Um, a message of encouragement, whatever it might be. It doesn't matter. It helps it keeps this whole thing moving and it's ensured that this podcast continues to go week on week and it's just a lot of fun but your contributions just make it that much easier so thank you so much to everybody that continues to support me however each and every week i thank one person it's my little way of giving back it's the least that i could do and i put someone on public record and just say look Thank you. Appreciate your support and explain what they've done to contribute to my happiness. And it means a hell of a lot to me. So, this week's shout out is for Sarah Payton or Patton. I should say Patton, I think, because it's double T. Uh, Sarah Patton from Auckland in New Zealand. Another Kiwi listening to the podcast. Thank you so much. Hopefully, you uh, joined us either really early in the piece with uh, Roger Walsh uh, from Dawn of Azale, um, who's also a keynote speaker and uh, does a lot of extra stuff. So, you can go back and listen to that old episode. Or maybe you joined when Paul Martin from uh, Devil Skin was on the podcast not too long ago, uh, in towards the end of 2018. But uh, regardless, I'm stoked that you're listening to this podcast. And I'm even more stoked, if that's a correct term to, to use, that you have given me a beer shout. So the beer shout is the paypal.me button over at andysocial.net. And it's a way of contributing towards the podcast. And the the whole thing behind it is that the more money that you guys give me for, for beers, um, then that's the less money I'm going to spend on beers myself and put it back into the podcast. So a very roundabout way and silly way to support this podcast. But that money does go back into uh, hosting, equipment, travel, all sorts of things that uh, really sort of ensure that this podcast continues on. Even the editing of this podcast, I've got Ty to thank for that, uh, who really ensures that th- this podcast continues on. So um, all these costs do add up and these little contributions mean a hell of a lot to me. So Sarah did shout me a beer and a nice little generous uh, gift that she's provided and uh, added a little message, which was really cool, saying that she really enjoyed the Shivani Gopal episode, which was episode 142 and uh uh, shivani is the uh founder of a movement a website called the remarkable woman and she's uh, really talking about uh you know equality in the workplace and just in general and she's uh uh, created this platform to empower women and so maybe that that's that answers my question from before maybe sarah found the podcast through shivani's episode so i'm stoked that you love that uh that episode thank you so much for the beer shout it means a hell of a lot to me when you hear this please send me a message with your details i'm going to find something lying around to shoot you out in the post because we all love getting something in the mail and it's the least that I could do. So thank you, Sarah. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This week's episode is with art director and photographer, Liam Wong. I discovered Liam not too long ago. Um, Like a lot of people um, discovered his photography and he is an incredible photographer and he's only picked it up in the last few years. He put out a series of photos um, a little while back called Tokyo Nights. And for anybody that loves uh synthwave music um and me being one of those people um will really get something out of his photography he uses um very sort of Blade Runner-esque uh sort of vibes with his uh, photos he's got this really cool color palette of purples and pinks and um sort of this fluorescent sort of uh, uh palette which he sort of gets into in this conversation and it's just really cool um really cool photography. So I'm not going to try and explain. I'm hopeless at this stuff. So you can go and check it out over at liamwong.com. But we talk about uh, a lot of this in the episode. He is one talented guy. He is also the art director for Ubisoft, which is one of the biggest gaming companies in the world. And I will put my hand up. I know bugger all about games. I haven't played games since I think probably early high school when I was playing Duke Nukem 3D. And before that, I think it was like Commander Keen, Secret Agent, Scorched Earth, Treasure Mountain. Heart of China, they were on like three and a half, three and a half inch floppy disks. I think I had to put like five of them in or something like that. So, that, so that's showing my age now. Um, so I haven't really been exposed to a lot of gaming in more recent years, but um, I believe he's done some work with Far Cry 4 and Assassin's Creed. Forgive me if I got that wrong, but I'm pretty sure that's what it is. But um, being the art director of Ubisoft, he's obviously had a lot of involvement with a lot of the work, um, a lot of the games that have been uh, produced. Um, he's just a really, really talented guy. He's done so much. I am completely envious of what he's been able to achieve in such a short space of time. And his talent is just, it's incredible. So enough gloating from me. Um, liamwong.com is the best place to go and check out his work. He's got all his social media handles and links all in there. Um, And one final thing before we kick into this episode, there are a couple of slight technical difficulties uh, in this chat in a couple of little spots along the way. So Um, T.Y. has been an absolute hero and cleaned up this podcast really, really well. Um, But you will notice there'll be a couple of little things along the way. So just take it with a grain of salt. Um, You'll still enjoy it. Um, Well, I'm assuming now. I still enjoyed listening to it, and I hope that you'll get as much out of it as I did. Enough of me crapping on. Please enjoy this fantastic episode with Liam Wong. So I think the best way to kick it off... Uh, is how I discovered you and mm-hmm. your work. And um, no doubt you're hearing all these different stories over the past couple of years uh, in particular. But for me, obviously, with a lot of other people, um, I've seen your photography work and the uh, photo series that you put out, Tokyo Nights. Um, mm-hmm. And I saw it, and I'm pretty sure I saw it from a retweet from the synthwave band, The Midnight, and okay, yeah and so obviously their music and I guess their imagery is sort of very similar in, as far as colors and mm-hmm. tones as what you've done in your work. Um, mm-hmm. Have you found that a lot of subgenres and and niches of communities have discovered your work for different reasons?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, at one point in the midnight, I posted my picture. I think they hadn't credited me and then I think I replied and they tagged me and then followed me. <laughs> but yeah, I love I love their music. Um yeah, when I try and think about other places I think when I first started I would get a lot of like sad posting Facebook accounts would like post my stuff <laughs> and they'd put some like deep quote and I would just get all the time especially like, uncredited or I don't know, I just I just love, like load my feed, see one of my rain pictures and it's like some really depressing quote so there's like a lot of that kind of stuff synthwave outrun um and then you're like general like photography stuff concept artists who share that kind of stuff but yeah i kind of lose track of it so when i whenever i speak to people they'll you know they'll say oh i saw your work here blah blah blah. and sometimes i'm like i have no idea what the the thing is um kind of just spiraled out of control
0: and one thing that i've noticed is there's a lot of other photographers out there that are doing similar type of work to what you've done. Mm -hmm. And I don't know who's come first, whether you've been inspired by other people doing similar stuff or whether there's just been a lot of copycats Mm -hmm. that have sort of uh, jumped on your coattails and taken advantage of of the attention. Mm -hmm. Um, Have you seen uh, a lot of a response from other photographers doing that sort of stuff or have you been inspired by other people? Yeah, I mean, I
1: was. so I think back to that 's like a, a, such a hot topic because mm. I get asked that like all the time, and honestly, I never really speak about it like I try and keep my my timelines like pretty clear like i don't like to to mess them up mm. and so when I think about yeah last last couple of years especially so I, I got into photography like two thousand and fifteen, uh, and when I first started, my style was kind of like non existent actually you know take like regular pictures, whatnot, but because I work in video games at some point i I kind of decided to kind of mishmash that and cross it over. So you have like these super saturated colors, maybe the, the content, of the shots are reminiscent of video games, stuff like that. But I was also inspired by Sid Mead mostly. Um, so he was like the, the main concept artist designer on films like Tron, uh, Blade Runner, of course. Um, and his, his paintings are like exceptional. And so a lot of my work was like channeling his work, um, and also another photographer called Fan Ho. And then I think at some point I decided I want to kind of like brand myself. And so I started moving towards a very uh, consistent color palette, which is something I focus on my day job, which is like directing style guides. So I think mm-hmm. about typography, color, um, you know, trying to create something that's unique and like memorable uh, to keep stuff like on brand. And so when I started to do that, I kind of going kind of for like this kind of purple look that was channeling I think, like, Vaporwave and Outrun and Synthwave stuff. Um, But then also just, like, I don't know, video game stuff that I was inspired by. Uh, In the last, like, yeah, a couple of years, there has been, like, like an influx of the kind of people that create similar work. Mm. And, like, every day I get tagged in people's stuff that's, like, not even mine. (laughs) And it's, it's like, it's kind of weird. But... At the same time, like I can't, I can't like own something, you know, you can't own a shot. What I guess I do roll my eyes at, and I say this one publicly is when people kind of go up to the same spots. And uh, when I think about Instagram as a platform, it's like, it kind of promotes that everyone wants to go to the shot that, I don't know, has a lot of exposures. So they go there, retake the shot, do the same colors. And it's kind of, it takes away what like the funniest behind photography, you know, like wandering around and stuff
0: you sort of just fabricating a particular setting just to sort of emulate what's already been captured so it sort of loses the whole yeah. energy behind
1: the original shot yeah and no, I, I honestly I think it's like you know everything's a copy anyway so when you think about it, like any other industry this happens a lot and um, so it's not like a surprise to me that you know people will see something that's popular and it's like doing numbers so they want to emulate that but that it's kind of uh, you know, they they lose their own voice in the way they create something that's like a copy of a copy at that point.
0: Yeah, and and there's a there's a lot of that with mass consum- consumption of just content and media online these days. So there's there's a lot more instances of that happening.
1: And I have like a lot of illustrator friends, and they have the same the same thing. You know, someone creates some kind of style, or maybe it's the content of what they draw or paint, and People like, you know, jump on it and start doing similar stuff. And it's, I think it's obvious to anyone that follows a scene, um, you'll know who the work is inspired by. But yeah, It's, it's a weird thing about like social media like these days.
0: Just, yeah, I certainly see that as well. Just, I mean, especially when there's a particular there's a particular thing and I use thing very loosely because mm-hmm. it could sort of <laughs> mean a whole run- bunch of different, uh, yeah. different things. But, um, when something strikes a chord with people and, you know, you use that word goes viral, it gets shared a lot, then, mm-hmm. then it starts to influence other people to jump on that bandwagon. And sometimes that yeah. can be a really great thing depending on what, what that thing is. But, um, I guess because we're so connected to each other, it's so easy to quickly, light the fire in a way,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and um, and so creativity becomes something that can be compromised really quickly, but it all, can also burn out really quickly because it sort yeah. of just – it loses all that excitement really, really quickly in some instances, not in all, because some stuff's got – Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah. Um, and that's why – I feel like something that's always been important to me is to kind of always be – how do I say it? You know, like just like big up the stuff that inspired you. Mm. Like any article, you know, anytime someone's done an interview, I always plug the stuff that inspired me, the stuff that like motivated me to like go out that day and I don't know, take pictures. And a lot of times it's music. Other times it's other artists. It could be something that I saw, but I pretty much always flag it. And I think, I think the weirder thing is to not, is to act like, you know, you came up with it like mm. an original idea, which doesn't really exist in my opinion. Yeah, just, but, uh just different versions. Yeah. So like, it's a weird one because I'd say like last year and like my style of images, you know, it's very, it's very focused in, in terms of what the content is. Like I spent a lot of time outside after, you know, after midnight taking pictures. Uh, a lot of the content is like vague silhouettes, um, never faces, uh, a lot of umbrellas, reflections, neon signs, saturated colors and more than off more often than not like a purple color palette. And that kind of became my thing. Um, but then yeah, like that kind of rise of that in the last year, especially because of like film. Like you look at Blade Runner 2049, you had Ghost in the Shell, you yeah. had um, even just music. And I think our films you had like John Wick, Atomic Blonde. <clears throat> and a lot of the a lot of the careers followed me to work on that stuff so it's kind of cool that you know you're all riffing on the same stuff mm. um but yeah like it, it was like at some point you just look at it and you're like well i'm kind of bored of it now <laughs> and so yeah often it often like a lot of times like i just kind of disconnect from social like social media i don't like using it because um, i like to just make art and when i make art it's often for myself uh and then i'll share it when i you know when i feel like it mm. um yeah,
0: Is there any particular reason why Japan of all places, and I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure I know the answer because mm-hmm. I've been there quite a bit over the years myself, but is there any particular reason why Japan sort of grabbed you and became sort of the foundation behind a lot of this work and this sort of ongoing inspiration?
1: Yeah, so like the weird, the weird part for me is like I didn't, I didn't grow up heavily into like anime, I uh, don't know, like Japanese animation or film, compared to a lot of my friends and a lot of people I work with in video games, they all kind of have that kind of same background. We're like, okay, I had an N64 as a kid, and I got into this and this, and then I got into JRPGs. It's kind of like a similar story. But for me, I was never, I don't know, I just didn't, I wasn't absorbed or, you know, brought up on that kind of culture. So the first time I went to Japan was 2014, and that was for my job uh, so at Ubisoft. And so I got to do a press tour, and they asked me, like, oh, do you want to go to Japan? And I was just like, yeah, fuck it, I'd fucking love to go to Japan, because yeah. um, why not? And I was there for two weeks, and I, yeah, I didn't have a camera that time, so I was just there. And I, it's weird thinking back, because I didn't really do any research into this, you know, into Tokyo. I didn't, didn't know where to go or what to look at, It was just me and a workmate, and we just kind of went around checking stuff out. But then yeah, I think it was the year after that's when I bought a camera. Because I really wanted to get into like uh, to video and to film uh, just for fun. I'd, I'd watch a lot of stuff on Vimeo and I'd get inspired by that kind of work, especially there was one video in particular, I think it's like Memories of Tokyo. I think and it was seen all that. shot on a Canon Canon five D three and a guy uses Magic Lantern. And I remember just staring at it, I was just like, Wow, this is like that's what I wanna I wanna start doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, at some point I just didn't end up doing video stuff. I ended up doing photography. But yeah, when I think back, it was kind of like that bad trip because I, I saved up for the same camera that I saw this guy using. And I was like, you know, that's what I want to do. So it was also the first time, the first year I spent away from home at Christmas. Um, so it was kind of like, I was just kind of like in a, in a screw it mode. I just want to go and do this. And I stayed there for a few weeks. And yeah, that was like the start of my first photo series. And so there was like one, it only rained one time. And so I took, I'm like, I took like good pics just, and I, I I wouldn't say that so like lightly now, because back then I was just like, I didn't think much of them, but when I look back at now, I'm like, those are like decent pics. I've tried to go to those same spots and take the same pictures, but like the moment isn't there. Hmm. And so... You know, I've, I've been back so many times to Japan now. Um, and so I, every time I try and just find different things to take pictures of. But yeah, like the first time I went, I was totally fascinated by the city. I think as a creative, it's just a really inspiring place to be. You meet a lot of people, I meet a lot of other creatives, but even just as a graphic designer, seeing the typography, the signage, that kind of stuff, like really, I don't know, just motivate me to just do all kinds of stuff.
0: When I first went to Japan, oh, I can't even remember when it might have been. It might have been two thousand and five, and I, I was just absolutely blown away. I was overwhelmed by yeah. Tokyo and by Japan in general, just because, I guess, coming from Australia and maybe from a lot of Western sort of countries, probably, um, it's the same sort of feeling where it's just a, it's almost like an alien landscape. It's so yeah. different and so unusual, and in some ways very opposite and absurd compared to what many of us are just used to. And I mean, especially Tokyo and I, I've looked through a lot of your, a lot of your work and it, and I'm, mm-hmm. I don't know exactly where in Tokyo you're taking a lot of these photos, but I get really mm-hmm. sort of drawn to areas such as Shinjuku um, where, yeah, that's uh, like my yeah. And it's just, there's a, there's a, there's a feeling of sort of this underlying danger, but at the same time, you don't quite get that. F- you don't get that same sort of feeling of danger as you would, or mm-hmm. as you feel in other cities around the world. And it's this really odd blend of of that sort of yeah that that, that danger, but also safety. Because I don't know whether it's just the, the the size of the city, the population, or or just maybe the Japanese mm-hmm. culture as well um, that sort of has this mysterious element to it. And maybe because of the language barrier, and <laughs> it might be a big thing as well.
1: Mm. Like, what, what was, like, a normal thing for you growing up? What were the kind of visuals that you grew up around?
0: Oh, for me, it's and, – and it's yeah. funny because for me, when I talk about it, it just feels so mundane and bland. But it's <laughs> it's uh, it's growing up in regional towns around Australia where, mm-hmm. you know, um, uh, for the most part, heat, summer, um, very sort of yeah. – um, Very sparse sort of landscape, so not – Sort of thick foliage or anything like that. Um, uh, a lot of dead grass. You know, very dry, arid sort of uh, surroundings. Mm-hmm. Um, but not a lot of buildings. Um, you know, fewer population. Things like that. So, and a lot of. Uh, and if we're talking about colours, a lot of yeah. a lot of uh, browns and um, yellows and oranges and things like
1: that. So a lot of warmer, warmer sort of colours. Hmm. Yeah, because for me, I, like I grew up in Edinburgh, and I, like I, I really didn't travel a lot until I was like twenty-five, um, so I really didn't see anywhere. Like the most exotic place I'd been was Norwich in England, yeah. which is this small town. It was like, and I was like hyped because I was like, "Oh, wow, cool! I get to travel on the trains. Awesome!" <laughs> um, but yeah, like, but, like going to conferences and stuff. Like I'll, people will say, "Where are you from?" Because I have a weird accent, and I'll say I'm from Edinburgh. I remember I was in Mexico, and I was, oh, "I'm from Edinburgh." And they didn't know what it looked like. So I showed them a picture and they were like, holy shit, there's like a castle on a rock yeah. in town. I was like, yeah. But to me, it was like a very normal thing. And it was it's only like since traveling that I come back home and I'm like, you know, like exploring the city that I never even thought to walk around. Um, and it's crazy, especially like cause Edinburgh has a lot of history. I was looking at like old pictures, like photography of, I don't know, from like 1900s, like... Seeing how a city can change over time is like really crazy and I never knew anything about it. But yeah, like it's just weird. For me, like I grew up I said Edinburgh's like pretty big anyway, I don't know how many people. But um I was always drawn towards like huge cities like London, Paris, New York, um Tokyo obviously, Hong Kong. Um just because I kind of grew up in a like a small place in comparison to those. Um but I just kind of became hooked on those.
0: When you do travel, you tend to get a. It's it's perspective. You like you get you get a, mm-hmm. more of an appreciation of where you come from, but you also notice those vast differences, those contrasts between what you have always seen as just in air quotes normal life, mm-hmm. and um, and seeing how other people live in their version of their own normal life, and it's um, it's it's quite interesting because you you either you either. Exposed to all of the shortcomings that you have in your life, or you're able to see mm-hmm. all of the things that are that you're you're lucky, you're, you're you're grateful of. So it's um it's it's really a valuable thing for people to be able to get out and travel because if you haven't been outside of your little part of the world, then yeah, it's, it's really it's, yeah it's it's really really hard to, to get any sort of grasp of the wider picture or even sort of you know basic feelings of compassion for other people and being open minded yeah. and things like that.
1: Yeah, because for me, like, I I spent a lot of time just in my room. Like, uh, even at high school, I don't know, I just wouldn't leave my room. I would just play video games all the time. And, like, I'd have friends and stuff, but just a total shut-off, like, introvert. Um, And it's weird even looking back at that now because I I obviously travel a lot, often just by myself. You know, I walk around taking pictures by myself. Um, But, yeah, it's, like, a weird contrast because I can also imagine, like, another another version of me which just stays where I was born and works there and that's that, you know.
0: I haven't actually seen the movie. I've only seen that scene that keeps popping up all the time, but that uh, movie from years ago, Sliding Doors, where she gets onto the train or doesn't get onto the train and then suddenly there's two storylines that that uh, follow in, in the movie. And so it's sort of the whole point of it is that decisions can lead you on a completely different path. And so it's interesting for yeah. you to say, like, thinking that sort of side to you just sitting at home, you know, what, what would life look like then versus, you know, some yeah. of the decisions that you've made over the years to
1: to get out and, and experience the world. And that's like because I get asked like a lot of career stuff, and I'm sure you must get asked stuff as well, but it's like um, like for me the biggest thing has just been sending emails. Like, I, like as a creator, there's so much work you have, you've made, but not necessarily show it to people, you know. And so I spent a lot of time just sending emails. And even when I was in high school, I would do the same and at university and you know, ask people for help. You know, I'd ask them, hey, how can I get a job? Hey, could you look at my stuff? Could you, I don't know, give me some tips? Um, and that helped me want to move around, I guess, because I could see these opportunities that were kind of presenting themselves.
0: I think this, in some ways, it's it's so much more beneficial that we've got email these days. And even now it's changed again. We've got social media, which is sort of making it Mm -hmm. more instantaneous. But, you know, years and years ago, you'd have to pick up a phone and talk to somebody. And there's something so confrontational about it where you're on the, you're putting someone on the spot, you're speaking, and it's just very, very overwhelming for people, especially introverts as well. But even email can be a bit intimidating as well. Did you find that you sort of were a little bit sort of hesitant to send emails out?
1: I think it comes anyway, like you're going to feel anxious about sending something like an email, especially if it's like a body of work that you've created and, yeah. you're, and mentally you're like, no one wants to see this or listen to this or, but then I kind of just go in the mode of like, screw it and just, just send it anyway, Cause like either they'll reply and be like, Hey, this is cool. We'd love to do something or, or they, you know, they just don't reply and that's that and that's fine. But yeah, I kind of just go for that shot approach of, you know, put your stuff out there, see what happens.
0: Was that the sort of process that you took when you got your opportunities to, to first relocate out of Scotland and, and do your work with Ubisoft and things like that? Was it a case of you just yeah. throwing yourself out there to as many different places as possible to see whether people would find interest in what you're doing?
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, so for me, yeah, I went to university for four years in Scotland.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And then, yeah, it was when I in my third year I made a video game. And then... Um, even that, I didn't even think to make video games because I kind of thought that nobody could have a career in that cause it was a weird thing back then.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I thought that even that long ago, but you'd be like, you know, if artists can't make money, then video game developers certainly can't make any money and make a living. Um, so for me, I made a game at some point, and then it, it did well, and then I had a lot of interview offers. Um, and one was actually to stay exactly where I would be, which is Edinburgh. I was at Rockstar, and it was for GTA... UTA 5, mm. which is weird to think about because it didn't come out like, like that long ago. Yeah. Uh, and I was as a graphic designer. <clears throat> and yeah, so back then, then I, I moved to England. I worked at Crytek and I was working mostly on user interface, graphic design stuff. And I moved more into marketing, art, I guess, um, anything that was graphic design based, 2D, 2D elements. I wanted to kind of move elsewhere. So I, I sent my work out to a bunch of places. Um, in the US and Canada and Europe and kind of went with the flow. So as Ubisoft, it hooked me up with the kind of the one I was most interested in.
0: Was that unexpected? I mean, even though you did put yourself out there, was it unexpected when yeah. when that that offer was uh, put in front of you?
1: Yeah, and it's scary because, like, <clears throat> you know, like a job offer to move country to a place you've never been. Uh, yeah, it was 20... I was 25 when I moved to Canada and so and it was a direct position and I had two years experience mm. so there was all of this kind of just uncomfortable uh, decisions you know like do I do I move do I not move to just stay where I am it's probably more comfortable um do I even have the experience where I join and get fired after like two weeks <laughs> all of that stuff like rushing through my head and at some point I was just like yeah fuck it I'll just I'll just go anyway um And it was great, like terrifying at the start, but great. Like, you know, I think one of the best things about working for such a big company is just the amount of talent that's there, like the amount of subjects I can tap into from other people. Like, um, if I was struggling with lighting or, you know, wanting to learn 3D or game design or marketing, marketing, especially, I learned a lot for for just from sitting next to marketing directors and stuff for years. so, yeah, it was incredible. Uh, but not one of those things. In retrospect, version of me would just never have went. We would have just stayed in England, probably.
0: Do you think that so that marketing experience helped you with your own? And I, and I hate to use the term, but it, it's it's the probably the most accurate thing. But your own branding. Do you think that marketing experience yeah, helped you put yourself out there?
1: Yeah, because I think I mean, graphic design and marketing go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. And even for like photography i I picked it up to learn more about graphic design mm. so you have like layout and I don't know you know you have all of this the graphic design principles uh but where you take that even further is definitely the marketing side maybe if you look at like analytics or if you look at I don't know understanding what your audience is what it's made up of like that that played a huge part in me even just using any of those platforms at the time um and i I don't It's not something I I focus on a lot, but I just have that experience from, you know, being sat next to a team that creates press releases, creates, you know, events, planning stuff and works with external companies or artists on like contracts and figuring out all of that kind of detail. It's just experience I picked up passively, you know? And I,
0: and I guess, I mean, I mean, obviously, there's a, there's a high level of expertise there, especially in in that in that industry, but also, I guess, in companies of that size as well, mm-hmm. um, because when and we sort of spoke about this earlier, where you know we're in such a a high volume of of media and content that keeps distracting us all the time and and trying to sort of jump or try and get out of, uh, our attention, it's distracting us all the time, mm-hmm. and so your marketing is so critical to be able to cut through a lot of that noise to be able to direct the attention in the appropriate way. So you have to strike, yeah. you know, with the right, with the, in the right way that's going to spark emotion and spark interest from the demographic or the audience that you're trying to, trying to capture.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, even like, if I think back to something like Instagram, like people at the time, even artists, you wouldn't know, if you posted a specific time of day based on your audience, you will get higher engagement. Mm. Um, and I would just kind of play on that. Like I, would, I realized most of my audience was actually in Europe. <clears throat> and so I'd find like a sweet spot where people in Europe were, you know, their days were, they already started in the morning uh, and maybe people in North America were just waking up. And so I would post around that time. Because also on the flip side, you have people in Japan who are going to bed um, and it was just a perfect time to post stuff. Uh, and that, like, it's it's like weird things like that that shouldn't really exist, uh, but it does, you know. And so, like, something I I do mostly on Twitter. Like, if I've not posted anything, I'll just kind of go through my timeline and just retweet people's stuff, <clears throat> uh, just as a way to kind of bump them. And maybe they get some work from it. Maybe they get some followers. Or you know, at the end of the day, people more people are seeing their work, and I think as anyone that has, I wouldn't even say large following and say just has a following. It's just a good thing to, to be able to do that. That's why I love about Twitter.
0: Yeah. And I, I think, I mean, it depends on how you look at it because it's, it's unfortunate that there's so many great pieces of work and creatives out there that are, that are putting out this amazing, this amazing work for other people, but often gets lost in the mix of, of all that noise. But, mm-hmm. um, it's also exciting, I guess, from somebody that consumes a lot of the creativity where, you're never short of anything, and you can go digging and find the most, um, you know, the most unusual stuff and and unexpected uh, content that many people have just ignored. and And it's exciting mm. in a way because it's sort of like you you go digging for for treasure on the on the in the depths of the internet, and it's and it's quite good. It's not great for the artist, of course, because there's there's always a challenge there. But um, from a from a consumer point of view, there's you're never short of of amazement um from a you know when you're looking for sort of creative pieces
1: of work out there yeah I love that like I'm I'm saving stuff like all the time do you have a Pinterest account
0: I do I but I I suck at it <laughs> I'm not that okay. good at it but um it, for me, yeah
1: like it's like you just see your mind like mapped and just into like little groups and stuff so for me it's like mood boards they're just one might just be called like aesthetics and I'll just pin anything that just has a vibe to it um have other ones where it might just be concept art, um, and I just have folders and folders, and like I just have a random name so no one knows this name. <laughs> it just says a, like a letter or something. Um, but yeah, it's it's just a crazy way to, and it's it's something I always say to people who are kind of hitting a creative block is, you know, just start saving stuff into folders, and at some point you'll get inspired enough to kind of mix some ideas around. And that's kind of that's kind of why I do every time. With
0: I guess your your role as an art director and doing a lot of freelance mm-hmm. work, and also just thinking about what you said earlier about being a bit of an introvert and sort of your earlier mm-hmm. earlier sort of uh, time in high school and things like that. I mean, you've you've done a lot of work for major major um, global brands over the years. How how have you sort of overcome your own sort of um, mm-hmm. your own challenges with dealing with these? big global giants as far as, because from a freelance point of view, you have to be able to forge, have that ability to forge a a relationship with a client and you're going to be dealing with a whole range of different clients. Mm -hmm. Did you have challenges trying to work that out or do you take any sort of approach to be able to, to be fluid with the way that you, you deal with so many different people?
1: Yeah. I think the very first time would be when I got into leadership position as someone who's, you know, I'm, confident in my art skills confident as a person whereas you know, you meet people where it's the opposite or you are like a hybrid like they can just do either or for me it was like I was I was good and felt good about my art but not so much as a person um and so yeah when I started like as a lead you have people below you and so they're artists and they're trained and you know they have the skills for me it was my ability to kind of be confident that they could deliver on it. And mm-hmm. I just never had it. And so I would, I would just have the tendency to micromanage, which is really bad. Um, you know, to, to just take over someone's computer and say, well, you know what, I'll do it. Um, and at some point, you just have no time. So for me, uh, like that, just as a learning curve was great because you can, you suddenly know the best way to, I guess, to communicate that to someone you have to work with. Uh, on the flip side of that, like say, freelance working with companies. Uh, Email, obviously, like communicating back and forth and deadlines uh, and deadlines always shift. So it's it's kind of hard to keep track of all that. And so I guess one of the the coolest parts of just having a camera and getting into photography is all of the people I met along the way. And so I think the very first. I shot like a handful of people when I just started, uh, but they all happened to be like huge, like people. In, in like the areas that they're in. Mm-hmm. So one was uh, like a cosplayer called Hendo, She yeah, I think has like 300K on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Um, one was a Japanese band who like, all have over like a million followers or something. One was like the, one of the biggest models in Japan. Uh, and like, anyway, for, for me, it was like, like the, the shortcut to like learning is to be around people that are used to dealing with experienced people because I'm gonna learn faster. And because of their experience, you know, let's say it's for taking portrait pictures, they already knew, like, I don't know, their best angles and, they can, you know, they can have that experience. And I was able to learn a lot faster than, say, like my mom. And I said, Mom, help me get, help me get good at portraits. <laughs>
2: um,
1: so, yeah, like, for me, it's like surrounding yourself by people that are way more talented and especially in areas that you'll never have that experience. Uh, I so yeah, there was, another, there was another guy I met who was, a DJ goes by the name Danger, a French guy wears a mask. Um, and I listened to his stuff at university, and I just, just fucking loved his work. At some point, I sent an email to his page, and I was like, hey, I'd love to take your picture someday. And his manager actually replies, and I was like, oh shit, I actually worked.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> and then he's like, hey, I'll be in Montreal. And I was like, cool. And he was uh, supporting poor Robinson at the time in Madeon. Um, and they were like massive as well. Mm. And then I got to go on stage, take pics, pick one of my friends, and that was like a real experience because I don't do big gig pictures and I don't do you know what I mean. So, but suddenly I'm on the stage, and like one of my favorite musicians, I get to meet him, and I was just so inspired because he makes all of his artwork himself, um, does all of his press stuff, his merchandise, his music, just everything just by himself and I'm just like, wow, that's cool. But he was also like very similar to me, like very uh, like, introvert and kind of, like you know shy kind of person who didn't want to be overwhelmed with people. And I'm sure you must get that a lot in like the music. So yeah, for, for me, it like what's helped me like come out of my shell, just meeting people. And also like you have this expectation in your head, like if you meet like a huge musician, that they're going to be like rock star mode and they're going to be, yeah. I don't know, outgoing as fuck and just, in your face, but really they're just, you know, just regular people and they're just great at what they do, you know, they find success in, in the stuff. And it was kind of like in past, I guess, what you, yeah, what you see as a person online. And, you know, I got to, yeah, message, uh, well, Zed followed me one time. You know Zed or? I've heard of. It's like a, yeah, so he does a lot of, like, uh, music. Um, I think he has billions of is there something ridiculous? But he followed me one time and I'm, uh, I guess, yeah, last year, towards the end of last year, I got to go on stage in at Ultra Japan, which was, again, just bizarre because I don't do that kind of stuff. But then meeting him, we were just talking about Overwatch, and I was like, cool, like, I did not expect that. Um, and so, yeah, just, like, at some point, like, just realizing that people are just, they're just regular people and you'll find something in common, and I think that really helps. Where, where it's a lot different is like businesses where you're not really dealing with creative people. You're dealing with like, I don't know, marketing people who are not necessarily creatives and stuff.
0: With a lot of your freelance work,
2: are you p- completely freelance now? Or are you still doing, cause I don't think you're still with Ubisoft anymore.
1: I worked in Canada for five years and then at some point, don't know if it's Canadian thing or something like that, but basically you can take a career break after you've worked that much. Mm. Maybe it's a specific to Ubisoft. You can take up to a year off. Okay. Um, so right now I'm like six months without being at a desk, which is kind of like, kind of blows my mind because I'm, uh, I guess I was just you know used to that. Like Ubisoft's still my second job. I didn't work like I didn't work in like a bar to do a paper round or anything <laughs> like that. Um, i wish i wish i had because my social skills would have been like through the roof i always tell to people like students and stuff because they always feel like really shit that they work in the area that I'm, they don't want to work in but at the end of the day you're, like, you're learning stuff you know and so uh yeah so for the last six months i've just been basically out on my own um doing like, traveling doing like collabs focusing on my own stuff so for me i I had, like, a goal, like, a list of things I wanted to achieve. The first one was to update my website, which took, took me a while, like, going through and trying to, like, really explore everything and blah, blah, blah. Uh, do my website, I wanted to have a book, like, a book deal, and I wanted to create a short film, or at least start. And I have pretty much ticked off all of them. And so that was kind of, like, I had a goal, like, six months is what I want to do. And I often just kind of make those kind of lists just so that i can keep track because once you uh, and i feel like it's common for anyone who maybe like leaves their job or something like that you spend a lot of time like doing nothing um especially for like the first i don't know however long but let's say for a month after like working any job you're just going to just be i don't know Relaxing, and so for me, I just is exactly what I did. Like I came back to the UK from Montreal, and I just chilled, um, and I tried to figure out how I could slot together all of my different projects. And so, yeah, I'm still actually employed by USoft by my career break.
0: Yeah, it's cool because I mean, I think there are a lot of businesses that that offer those types of opportunities, but it's still mm-hmm. it's still few and far between. So when you do hear somebody um, in that sort of position, it, it it's it's exciting it's i mean because you've got the safe not the safety net but you've got you've got the backing of a of a great business that's there to to support you along the way while you have breathing space to develop personally
1: and that's why like like yeah they've they've been like massively supportive because obviously it's a weird one like i have a following and i don't think a lot of know i work in video games apart from like the occasional tweet that i might do that i'm speaking about games somewhere and there's always someone that's like oh i didn't even know you did that and i'm like cool (laughs) (laughs) like it happens all the time and so uh yeah so i worked yeah five years and i just shipped far cry five so i finished up that i worked on that for like a year and a half i think and after that i was like okay it's time for me to to either i I didn't want to like work somewhere else but i was just kind of like oh i want to just go travel Um, And I was able to kind of work out like something with a company uh, so that I could, you know, do what I'd been kind of leading up to, I guess.
0: You've mentioned previously, but you've got a bit of an interest to move into film down the track. And I know that that was Mm -hmm. sort of like a turning point when you were looking at photography as well. Is that still something that's sort of in your vision as far as, is that a short-term thing or is that something that's going to be further down the track that you want to sort of gradually
1: gravitate towards i think for sure it's something i want to gravitate towards like i i don't think it's any you know it's no secret that like for me like my career has always been very weird like i started as a programmer technically doing web programming and then i would move into graphic design and then video games and then photography i guess so i kind of just always go with the flow um i've never like really limited like creativity like it just I just have the urge to kind of make something. And, you know, whether that's a game or a film. But yeah, like film is definitely next on my list. I think um, like one person that really inspires me is Lynn Ramsey. So she's from Scotland. And she, she started off by doing like little short films when she was in college, I think. And then she was mostly a photographer. <clears throat> but now she does like big Hollywood films. Um, I think we need to talk about Kevin, who was one of them. And I think you it, know, like the newest ones that like, you were never really here or there. So I didn't see it yet, but mm-hmm. it's one of Joaquin Phoenix. But Yeah, the Scottish like photographer turned filmmaker, like badass. And so, yeah, the weird the weird thing about like <clears throat> obviously photography and most most I'd say cinematographers turned directors they always start with photography. So it's kind of I think at some point you hit like a plateau. Yeah, you get to a plateau where you're like, okay, I've taken pictures, like I continue to take more pictures, but you know, what, what else is there? And obviously for me, it's like moving image. So the the weirdest thing about, you know, getting into photography has been like the amount of people that have followed me since. And so I had like a lot of film directors follow me, which I still find kind of weird. And it's one of those ones of like, because it's like a big name and you've seen their films, like. Mm. And now we're like, I don't know how long into the podcast, so I don't really mind to say, because you either listened or you didn't. So yeah. yeah, like the people that messaged me, is like, or followed me, it uh, was like Duncan Jones, you know, did Moon is like one of my favorite films. Uh, Source Code is great too. Uh, Del Toro messaged me and followed me. And he said, uh, said something that I want to frame and I don't really want to share it. But it was like, cool.
2: Uh.
1: And then the other week, uh, I messaged Michael Bay on Instagram. And I was like, "Oh fuck it, I'll just send him a message." And I, he didn't follow me, but he messaged me back. And I was like, "Holy shit, yeah. that's uh, that's crazy." And it's like that kind of—I don't know. I just that's why I just think as an artist, it's not—it's so easy to get into this kind of uh, what's the word? You know, you just get in your head and you just think everything you make is just terrible, whether it's music or I don't know, music art games everything that you make is just absolutely shit and it'll never be better but it's like overcoming that and then just being like no, well, i'm just gonna put my work out there because i'm feeling it all. it's just very weird having like people that i you know grew up watching their films and suddenly they you know their closer contact is um inspires me to be like you know what? i could chase something as crazy as being a film director someday even if it's like 10 15 years down the line but it's like you know why not like why not just have that as a goal and so yeah like i <clears throat> i really want to make a short film and i'm not a script writer but, you know i have a lot of contacts that are um and i was speaking to one one person in particular that wanted to kind of support me on creating a short so it's like that's kind of exciting to me mm. um this one i always kind of put off i guess because I know that when I, you know, work on something, I want to put everything that I can into it. So whether it's like, like in my head, I'd think of like musicians I would love to have like, do a score for. Um, one of my favorites is uh, Makeup and Vanity set. Oh yeah. Um, like wave stuff. And, you know, you followed me a while ago now, but like honestly, one of his songs, like, it just like gives me life like when i listen to that stuff and i'm taking pictures i'm like yeah this is i'm in the zone um so yeah it's like makeup and vanity scent the song system override It's is such a good track um but, yeah, i just love to find a way to make like a short and get you know collaborate with people and create something cool that i can be like wow that's something i've never done before but i try it. you know? do you think that's
0: what the attraction is to film like you mentioned, like just that moving picture element, but just being able to convey extra layers into a piece. Like, you know, obviously photography is sort of one-dimensional in some way, but, and, you know, you've got the old saying that a picture can say a thousand words, but... Mm-hmm. I guess with moving, moving picture, uh, being film, you can you can add sound, you can add obviously the movement mm-hmm. in there, you can scope, you can you can pan, you can add a lot more in so, so that the the viewer can digest a lot more information. Is it is it that flexibility or that liberating sort of element to it that is attractive, or is it sort of like even just for you having like a particular song that strikes a chord with you, it becomes mm-hmm. like the soundtrack to the environment that you're in. And that's why I think music is so important for people because it's, it becomes nostalgic over time. And when you hear a song, it throws you back to a defining moment or an area or a smell or whatever it might be. Um, is, is, are they the types of things that sort of are, are attracting you or compelling you in that direction towards yeah. film? <clears throat> so,
1: yeah, when I think about like this, the stuff that I love just creating in general, like, um, it comes back to the look and feel. So why well, I do my day job, and when I started, I was a graphic design director. And so I would focus on look and feel, the visual identity, uh, how you could use color and all of this stuff to convey the feeling of what the product is. Um, and so for me, when I think about film, I think about everything from how it gets branded to you know, how the posters might look, but also editing it in a way that just feels nice. And those are kind of my it's like my bread and butter. Those are the things that I do, mm. and what I need to. What I've been trying to learn is actually cinematography and um, shot to shot how those how those can help create a scene. If that makes sense, yeah. like you know, if you have two people speaking in dialogue. How the frames, how that how that is framed, how that you know transitions from cut to cut. That's where, to me, a lot of the hard work is.
0: I guess going back to photography and taking so many different mm-hmm. photos all the time and just continuously building, I'm just imagining that you've got you know, a hard drive or a cloud somewhere that you've just got so much content sitting there that no, but nobody's ever seen. Do you have plans to stagger out more of that content over time? Have you got plans with regards yeah. to that or is it more for your own personal sort of you know, just to scratch that itch for yourself?
1: For me, I, like, I have like hundreds of thousands of images that no one has seen. And uh, I a lot of people always ask me like, Hey, do you ever take pictures outside of Tokyo? And I'm like, I have like hard drives of pictures of Paris, London, Boston, Chicago, New York. I went to Israel. I went to, I've got Hong Kong, a whole Hong Kong series that I'm gonna show next. Um, to a lot of places, I just never really shared them. And it's, it's not because, I guess in a way it's like staggering uh, and I guess it also comes back to where, where you ask me, like, oh, I've seen a lot of stuff that maybe looks like your work. It kind of feeds into, well, you know, I'll, I'll post it where I want to post it. Because mm. it's also like when you engage, you you know, you consume a lot of content. It's very easy to be inspired by the latest trends. And I kind of, I think if I just made everything look the same, it would get very boring very quickly. So I kind of love that I have hard drives and hard drives of. Images that I can just, you know, like, let's say tonight, if I'm bored, I just load up my laptop, put on a hard drive or go in the cloud and download a bunch and just play with them. Because I think any artist or, you know, I can imagine musicians the same where you just have files and files that are just kind of not finished. But in your head, you're like, you might be like, OK, hey, that one's that was pretty good, but it's not where it's like not ready yet. Um, so it's that kind of mentality, I guess.
0: It's there's a bit of peace of mind there, knowing that there's there's a bank of of things yeah. that are sort of in various stages of of progress, and you know it's never you're never short of anything, so you can always go back and and dig into the vault and start uh, working on a particular piece, and then just stop and move yeah. on to something else.
1: But it's just something I love because over time, like your perspective on stuff just changes, like so. Even at some point I started to post like anamorphic kind of crops, like super wide. And at the time when I was taking pictures, I never looked at those pictures and thought, okay, that was a good picture. Um, But now I can go to hard drive and I'm just thinking differently. Like I'm thinking about like previously, I would have hated to have people in the foreground that were blurry and in the center like crisp and in Mm. the background, people are blurrier, blurrier than the ones in the foreground. But now I like that, I like the depth that it has, uh, mostly because of, you know, I, I could post, I don't know how many, let's say I could post 500 alley shots, they're all vertical, they all have a single person in that I managed to isolate, even though I was super busy. I could edit all of those and post all of those, but at some point someone will be like, well, I I've, I've thought I'd I've seen this one. And I'll be like, no, it's new. And they are like, oh, <laughs> hello. And it, I, yeah, you know, it's just... For me, I'm just, I like to mix up now and then. Like, and there's something I love about Twitter is just, um, I love the four image kind of, you can post four pictures. And I just got really into creating sets. And I love that some of them are like very different to what I would post. <clears throat> but it was like nature. And those ones like blow up more than the stuff that I do normally, you know? And so it kind of it's like encouraging. Um, and you know, motivates me to go back or take different pictures or go through my hard drives for the ones that I kind of just ignore and I was like,
0: you know. And it just means that you're not confined to one particular topic or theme or yeah. or whatever it might be. You you've got the flexibility to be able to move and, and you can see little examples of, of that working when you put it out publicly and you can see the response. So it's validating to know that yeah, you're not um yeah, you know, you're not confined just to one thing. Um, you mentioned Hong Kong before and putting out something in the near future. Can I just ask a quick question? Yeah. Did you did you take any photos? Because I don't know if it's still up. But the um, is mm-hmm. it the I've never been to Hong Kong, but is it the Kowloon, Kowloon Walled City? I don't know if that's okay. still up.
1: Yeah, it's, is that still? No, it's not.
0: Has it been demolished now?
1: Yeah, it's demolished. But there's there's a great photographer that took pictures of it. I want to say his name's like Greg Girard. Okay. I think it was like a French surname name incredible pictures that are like, just have that vintage feeling. Yeah. And so I'm sure he did like a whole series on, on Kowin, the walled city. And it's just insane to look at. Um, so yeah, like Hong Kong was a, it was a weird one to go to because like, I'm, I'm technically half Chinese. Uh, my dad was born in Malaysia, but going there was, I guess the closest I've been to China. And, mm. um, So it was just this weird kind of, at some point I was in Tokyo and I was like, I'm just going to go to to Hong Kong. Like I'd saved up some cash and I I flew there for a week. I went on Instagram and I I said, Hey, I'm going to be in Hong Kong. All these little Instagram kids like messaged me back and I swear (laughs) there's about 15 people turned up and they were all rooftoppers. So we were going around like these high ass rooftops in Hong Kong, which I never do. I'm not a rooftoper. I'm not about like banging my legs off buildings, but it was just so cool like just a the scene there for photography and like just like a huge like crave scene like tokyo is cool but i find that maybe people are too intimidated to kind of turn up so what you end up with is a lot of the foreigners like myself who come and hang out and take pictures mm-hmm. but in hong kong it was just like all locals who were just like into it all turned up with like crazy cameras and that was fun and so yeah i was like just going around like for me, I grew up, I definitely watched Ghost of Michelle. It's like the original and it's basically Mong Kok, which is uh, just like classic Hong Kong visuals where the signs are just overhead and everything, neons and just, I don't know, the architecture is very unique. So like walking around there for the first time is just completely different to somewhere like Tokyo. Um and it's something i find interesting is about like the way that the city is laid out like the architecture the structures like if you go to paris it's like one of the like i said like the cleanest in terms of just visual lines like it's very organized and you go to somewhere like hong kong and at first i just find it like very challenging to take good pictures mm-hmm. because it just set me off in terms of composition whereas tokyo is very easy like it's you know stand in the middle of a street, take a picture, it looks cool, you know? Yeah. Like, if I was to dumb it down, like, it's, it's basically that, kind of simple, it's very, it's like, you know, easy to take pictures. Of. Hong Kong is, you go from, like, just very old alleys that are just all wires, and, you know, kind of, more grungy, grimy looking, and then, like, how do you, how do you channel that vibe? Um, yeah. But, like, Hong Kong was, was good fun.
0: With, um, with those guys that came out and, and showed you around and those um, doing the rooftop stuff, did you mm-hmm. is that is some of that stuff going to be incorporated in some of the photos that you're going to release? As far as you know, sort of more of those sort of I guess wider scoped, larger than life sort of photos. Because obviously the Tokyo stuff's more in the depths of Tokyo. Yeah. It's very ground level. It's in those alleyways mm-hmm. and it's pokey and and that mysterious sort of element. But from what you just described, and I'm, I'm I've got a visual in my head. Um, mm-hmm. of this vast sort of city landscape but obviously being on a rooftop as well given the size of that city, you'd probably almost feel like you're still in the jungle even though you're on a rooftop.
1: Yeah, so like I have – and it's, it's another one of those things because, yeah, the first time I went to Hong Kong, maybe it was two – no, maybe it's maybe it's just a year ago or just over. But I've been there two or three times now. And so, yeah, I just have like all these images that I have – some are rooftops, some are maybe the more touristy spots. Um, but yeah, like I just, I think it's important to kind of take a step back and then think, okay, well, what, what haven't I tried? And like mm-hmm. one of them is definitely like cityscapes. Like mm-hmm. I just never, never did it. Um, there's one there's one picture, the guy had this, like, uh, I guess it was like a fisheye lens. And that's me wearing my, my Spider Man mask. And like the buildings there are rendered just insane Um, because we were, like, dodging security cameras, like, Metal Gear Solid style, all the way up to the top of this rooftop. And we got stopped by these undercover police on the way out, because they thought we were, like, dealing drugs and doing drugs. And they saw we all had cameras, so they were like, oh, it's okay, never mind. (laughs) (laughs) But it was was insane, like, climbing, like, because this is not something I do, we're, like, climbing up these ladders and stuff, and suddenly, like, on one of the tallest buildings in Hong Kong, Mm. And the cityscape is just actually overwhelming, and the, I think the time it was around Chinese New Year, so it's just ridiculous. All of the the neon signs on buildings.
0: And so, I mean, that that those types of feelings that you would have had at that time, and and I'm just trying. I mean, even just listening to you mm-hmm. talk about it, I'm sort of channeling a little bit of that, and just from you know, obviously being a bit disconnected from it, not being there, but I'm getting some of that energy. Is that something that you're? Or you will be trying to channel through the photos that you select and separate, yeah. to try and put out there to try and just, I guess, share some of that that feeling that you had when when you went through these, these experiences yourself.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Because I, I just feel like, like taking pick, like all right, so like a a normal night for me to go take pictures. I often just pack my bag. I have like rain covered everything to the max because if it's gonna rain, I'm like protected then just have all my gear, mostly me by myself walking around taking pics. But then um, because of that, like I just have so many shots that are like there waiting. Mm. Um, and so it's a weird thing because at the time I'll listen to music when I shoot, like pretty much always. Uh, but then obviously editing and the way I, I channel my stuff is a lot of it is done in post. Um, and I never, like I shared originals before, but I just don't find it as interesting now. But there's definitely that feeling afterwards where I'm going through a hard drive and I'm feeling that kind of nostalgia. Where I'm trying to remember like maybe how it felt. And so I posted four pictures. I posted them on Twitter first. Um, and I just put like Ghost City, which is like one of the songs in Ghost in the Shau, like the original. Oh, yeah. And obviously Hong Kong. And I used it as a title, and I put my my domain. I put on Twitter, and it had like like seven k likes or something ridiculous. Yeah. Um, but it's very like depressing looking, and I'm channeling like super, I don't know, dystopian vibes rather than like, oh look how beautiful this is, and in the rain. Like it was none of that, and it's very much just like, you know, for me, like how it feels when you when you arrive into Hong Kong and you get like say a taxi into. Somewhere like Mongkok, it's very like run down feeling, but it's also like you're looking at this huge like city, mm. like metropolis of just these buildings. It's kind of, and so I just posted them and I I was just channeling how that felt. So I'd shot, so it was like one of them's in a taxi, the other one's like a, an industrial type cityscape. And inspired by mostly two artists, I would say one is like Ian McHugh, who's from, I think he's from Scotland. Yeah, he's from Scotland a GTA art director at Rockstar, and his work is most—I feel like it's most like shipyards and stuff like that. And the other artist I was inspired by was um, Simon Stallenhag. Have you ever seen his work? No, I don't think so. Okay, so it's like—I think it's all Sweden, um, and it's often like robots and stuff. Okay. I'm sure you would have seen it, but it's like yeah. very distinct color palette. And I was just channeling that kind of stuff because I just kind of felt it, you know. Uh, so when you see that with the structures and maybe the color palette and the way that it frames, you get the same kind of vibe. And that's what I love about just different cities and how they feel like, you know, how and how can you communicate that simply through the color and the content of the shot.
0: I mean, you mentioned, you mentioned a few times about sort of obviously music sort of accompanying mm-hmm. you through these processes when you're, you're out there and creating, you know, taking photos and, and documenting everything, and even sort of, I guess, sort of post, post production as well. Have you? Do you use like platforms like Spotify at all?
1: Yeah, of course. I have like premium Spotify. Do you? I mean, I, I don't. I don't like. Oh, what, Sorry. Oh no, I was going to say like I only use it to listen.
0: Yeah, I was just. I was going to say just listening to sort of some of your comments about sort of the soundtrack element, the inspiration, and sort of having music sort of accompany you. It'd be really cool for people to be able to use a playlist that's created by you on Spotify—a public playlist that can capture the sounds, mm-hmm. the sound, or the soundtrack to the visual element. So it's sort of like the the, the stepping stone between photography and film, where somebody can listen to a, a playlist of, of curated music that you've cr- that you've put together. Mm-hmm. That sort of complements that visual aspect that you 're putting out there and it 's a hard one to do because everybody's going to have their own interpretation of of it's yeah, like actually. anything with art, but um, sometimes the those emotions that get sparked from a visual um, can really sort of be amplified by. A particular sound and a particular song or things like that. So um, when you're mentioning that, I thought, I wonder if you've got Spotify. I wonder if you do playlists yeah. and things like that. No, I
1: have. I have one playlist that I, I think I put on my Instagram one time, and a bunch of people followed it. Okay, but it's like a synthwave playlist. Okay, it cool. starts with Night Nightcall, oh, nice. which is probably like the most generic song ever, but it's like, <laughs> you know, it's expected. Um, you know, I guess people because the they're like, oh, it's Liam's playlist. Okay, I'll check out. Yeah. Nightcall starts, and they're like, oh shit. But then I think I have like, there's this other song, like the second one on it. I think it's called like, Waiting for a Sign. It's this amazing video. Um, I'll send a link after. Mm. But um, I just, I just, I'm just a huge fan of like decent intros. Like right. if a song starts and it's like heavy, I'm just like into it and I'm feeling it. And so, yeah, I just, my whole playlist is basically just like synth wave. And I guess what's weird about it is a lot of the people that I have on that playlist. Like, we're, like, mutuals. Like, I follow them, they follow me. But I find that bit, like, cool. So, like, one of the... I think, you know, you do that end of your Spotify thing where it shows you, like, what you listen to the most. Mm. <clears throat> like, my number one was Slow Magic. Do you know oh, Slow yeah, Magic? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, so he followed me a while back, and he was, like, my number one played, basically because it was, like, one song, and I swear I had it on repeat for, like, hours. <laughs> and it was Corvette cassette, just because it's, like, a very... I don't know, it's a very upbeat song and mm. I can just listen to it and chill and there's no lyrics that I don't know offset me or I start singing along or something, you know. But yeah, it's just like I just love that that kind of being able to, you know, meet different creatives just from that.
0: Do you find that when you're when you are working because a lot of a lot of the stuff that you've done over the years involves a level of focus which I would I think I would absolutely love to have (laughs) I'm such a Mm -hmm. I'm really I really struggle with sort of sitting in the one spot and really working on something to to the degree or detail that that sort of level of focus needs and does things such as a song on repetition or things like that help you sort of get into that flow into that state where you can really sort of um, I guess be completely immersed
1: in what you're doing? Yeah, absolutely. Like, I just feel like I concentrate better and I can find one good song and I'm just like in the zone. Mm. Um, so yeah, often if I'm doing like a set of images, I'll just try and find a song that feels like how I want to channel the image. It's this, this always been important to me. Like, uh, one time I did a talk at GDC, which is like a game developers uh, conference. And I was talking about graphic design, but I was talking mostly about like look and feel. And like one of the Best examples for me has been Seven, you know, the movie Seven. Yeah, yeah. So it's the intro titles to that. Um, I think it's like Kyle Cooper. But everything is just perfect because from the start of the movie, you already feel everything that that movie is going to become. Mm. Uh, just from the content, and I think as Nine Inch Nails playing, the contrast in typography, which, you know, I don't know, it's just, it's just like a perfect intro. And that's something I just always loved about graphic design, is just channeling a feeling and trying to make it accurate to what it is. And so, yeah, all the time I just use song titles as um, captions because it often helps me, I don't know, evoke a certain feeling or it, it also just helps me keep track of the amount of images I must have in the rain that are, like, purple.
0: <laughs> oh, so you mean sort of like a, like a working title for something that you're working – like. Like something in progress yeah. or, or your final sort of... No, like,
1: yeah, I was just, you know, I'll just take pictures and I'll, you know, I posted one the other day and I just, I just wrote Busted and Blue listen to Gorillaz. Um, oh, cool. And it's, you know, it's, like, it's kind of like a heavy song. And mm. I was just like, oh. And I had these shots of uh, train stations in Tokyo which were taken before the first train. So there's nobody there. So it's kind of eerie looking because it's such a huge city. Mm. Um, and it just kind of went well. Uh, and I just do that a lot. I used to tag the musicians, but I find it a bit cheeky now that I've got like a, a tick. Like I don't want to look like I'm pandering. (laughs) Well, I think, I mean, it's it's too easy to, you know, get their attention that way.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And it's, um, I think, I think you're in a fortunate position now where you've, you've got that audience and that reputation as well, where, um, it, that, that attention will gravitate back towards you anyway from that artist especially if you want to give mm-hmm. give a little nod or a, a tip of the hat to, to somebody that inspires you it usually will, would come back anyway um, through yeah. through word of mouth or through sharing as well so um, it's it's the wonders of somebody that's got got that level of attention that um, you can really sort of yeah. take advantage of.
1: Yeah, one one time I went through a phase of just using Linkin Park songs as titles. Yeah, cool. <laughs> and I would just get, I would just get like these avatar little anime avatar accounts like replying to like, "Hey, you must like a big Linkin Park fan." <laughs> I was like, "Yeah, I'm actually." And uh, yeah, Mike Shinoda followed me sometime last year.
2: Wow,
1: I was like freaking out because I, I really looked up to him just because I don't know, like everyone hates on Linkin Park just because of the music, but I, I fucking love it. Um, See so, you know, when you follow me, it's very hard to like freak out. It's very hard to not send your life story in a DM because <laughs> uh, I don't like believe me, I've done that in the past. To like, I think I did it to one person. I was like, cringe. It should be a cringe comp somewhere. But yeah, it's like it's just stuff like that where it's just like, holy shit! It's uh... I just like music just like drives me to the max. And so knowing that someone that worked on a song might have seen my stuff just kind of keeps me going
0: and no doubt you're doing that for other people as well especially people that are just coming into sort of creative arts now and you know people that are in school and just coming out of school and trying to work out what they do with their life and they're looking for inspiration you know all over the world and you're you probably already are well no doubt are but uh will continue to be somebody that other people will look to and so you know, when you start to follow somebody else, then you'll probably get that same sort of uh, yeah. encounter in, in reverse and you probably get it already
1: from people. It's, it's a weird thing though. Cause like sometimes honestly, I like, I laugh my ass off because like, I always do the thing where on Instagram i say, yeah, I'll, I'll do a, I'll leave a comment. I'll check out your feed and I'll, I'll basically, I'll like their comment. Once I know I checked out and I went on their feed, so I didn't like it, it means I didn't do it yet. Mm.
2: It's
1: like a way of like organizing it. Yeah. But, it's it's what i love about social media in a way that you can you know you can affect someone's day in, in a positive way like there was a guy that tweeted me the other day and he was like hey liam inspired by your stuff it pretty much looked like my stuff but i was like fuck it retweet bang and then he had like 300 things and then and then he's not like he's like subtweeting me on his feed, and i would just check it and I was like oh i can't believe you retweeted my stuff like this actually happened in 2018 and i was like cool And I was just sat there on my sofa anyway. So it's just a cool thing to, I don't know, be able to, yeah, because like social media, like when I go through my feed sometimes, it's just like politics and all that Mm. stuff. And on my Twitter, I I keep it like clean. Like I don't, I don't even tweet words. I just post the images and basically disappear. Um, I don't even reply to my own tweets. Like even that's rare uh so it's like anyone that goes on my timeline on twitter is basically like my portfolio um and i just try and keep it like a positive place where it's aesthetic pictures it's kind of my jam
0: well i think it certainly just ties into the overall sort of thing of or the, the visual of what you are so you know that's what you're known for so for people to to go to a twitter account sometimes it's kind of cool to see what what somebody's mm. thinking about what's on their mind, but sometimes it uncovers all sorts of garbage that you've got to try and sift through and you think, oh, my perception of that person has now changed. So yeah. I think it's really smart to sort of have that, that intention that, uh, you know, if somebody is searching for you and they find you and you're known for that visual aspect, that that's what they're going to, to receive when they, when they it's do. Like, encounter it's like,
1: it's like another, another thing. Cause I never, I never really show my face. My Instagram is, mm. I have a mask. My Twitter is like I used to post like just troll selfies with people and put, like a puppy filter on
2: yeah
1: the price on my feet somewhere but like other than that I just don't I like that disconnect between like someone that makes stuff and I don't know like I'm not a personality Like you go there to look at the pictures and that's it you're not there to I don't know comment on my hair
0: <laughs> it gives you I mean I think it gives you more freedom behind the scenes to be able to just be yourself and you let your, your work do the talking instead of the pressure being on you as an individual. I mean, obviously, it is you and it is your name, but you're not sort of at the forefront and distracting away from from what your actual work is.
1: Yeah, because it's, it's like a weird one in Japan because I would do a lot of live streams, mm. but then I would get, like, stream snipers and they would just turn up and they'd be, like, looking for me. <laughs> And then, you know, you hang out with them, you chat with them, whatever, but, like, I, I like that, I don't know, I can't imagine what it's like for, like, big stuff who, you know, know will just by their face, like YouTubers and whatnot, like, not being able to escape that. It's,
0: there's a lot of, I think yeah. there's a lot of pressure pressure on that, and, the, and then that's just a distraction away from the, the value that that person brings in the first place, whatever their creative ability or their talent is. Um, just becomes a big distraction. Do you have any plans for the Hong Kong stuff, as far as when that's going to be put out, or is that something that's just when when the time feels
2: right? Oh, uh,
1: definitely know? this year. Like, so for me, like, yeah, putting together all of my Tokyo stuff for my book, um, and then that will kind of be that. Mm. Uh, then I move on to other cities, yeah. which I'm excited about. Like, I'm just keen to just start posting different content, different styles, different. I don't know yet, but definitely this year
0: and and so with the book for for tokyo that's still pending
1: oh no the it will open up for pre-orders this year like okay. early this year
0: Yep. Yeah. okay cool Awesome.
1: Um, yeah
0: awesome well i'll put i'll put links in the in the show notes so people can follow you on all the all the socials and we'll enjoy the rest of your night and uh, we'll talk soon excellent Happy If you want to check out some of Liam's work, if you haven't had a sticky beak already, you can go over to liamwong.com. In his website, there are examples of all his photography. There are social media links. He's on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Um, There's also a YouTube link there. And you'll notice when you click on that, there are no videos on his YouTube uh, page yet. So I don't know whether there's some work in progress there, but keeping in mind what we just spoke about in this conversation, um, it might be worth subscribing and just waiting. So I've done that. So I've subscribed to his uh, channel with no videos, but um, I wait patiently for what he's going to put up there. I'm, I'm I've got high expectations, so we'll see how that goes. But uh, liamwong.com, go and check it out. I'll have all the links to everything we discussed in the show notes over at andysocial.net, or you can click through on your podcast player as well. Um, I really went to town with the show notes on this because there were so many really cool things that were discussed. Um, people that he idolizes, or I shouldn't say idolizes, but gets inspiration from um, music that, uh, that's influenced him um, movies, um, lots of different things. So lots of references in here. I I took a bit of extra time documenting this because I really enjoyed this chat. Uh, so click through on the show notes. There'll be lots of stuff and you'll see the things that we discussed in this conversation over at andysocial.net. Before we wrap it up, quick updates trying to get consistent with these updates lord 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 tim has flicked us through uh, one of the final cuts of the video clip for the first song of the new album all stuff that none of you guys know about or have seen yet um looks cool and there's a few extra things that tim's got to add in there but um we're almost there we're, we're almost there i keep telling you guys it's not far off it's not far off i keep meaning it and you know we're, we're getting there Long time coming. Um, we've uh, sent some stuff off. I think I mentioned uh, in a previous ep- episode, sent some uh, preview songs out to different people um, to, I guess, gauge some interest and look at opportunities. Um, but regardless of that, that's all on the side. Uh, we still have a plan in place as far as what we're going to do and how we get this album out. So lots happening behind the scenes. Not a lot that we can discuss. But um, as I said at the beginning of this episode, um, I think. I can't remember when I record these things. Um, but if you've liked our old stuff, you're going to really enjoy this. There's a, there's a real mix of everything that we have done in the past. Um, it just celebrates metal, um, our love of metal. And uh, it sounds really cheesy, but um, we've just tried to... I think we've always had a conscious effort to try not to be too genre-specific in our music. We just embrace every part of the entire metal genre uh, that we can and take the little bits that we love so I think we've done that really well and I think we've extended on that with this album as well so I think you guys will get a real kick out of it but uh, stay tuned there will be uh, merchandise there'll be new music there'll be lots of stuff coming soon so stay tuned and uh, lord.net.au go and check that out Self-starter update, as you folks know, season one is over. Um, If you haven't heard the podcast or you haven't heard the wrap-up episode, which was uh, released at the end of 2018 in December, you can go over to selfstarter.com.au or search for self-starter in your podcast player, Um, go and listen to that episode. It's a bit of a reflection episode, um, just touching on the year that was, um, what I learned over season one and the different people I spoke to, and where I hope the podcast goes into 2019, the season two, etc. Lots of things discussed in there, but uh, go and check that out or just go and check out the podcast if you haven't already. Um, season two is going to kick off in June um, and I'm started recording season two episodes now. I want to try and get them all recorded in advance before June so I don't have to keep chasing my tail after June, which will probably happen anyway. Uh, but if you know somebody, any guest recommendations, somebody who someone who has their own business, someone who's self-employed, um, a freelancer, uh, somebody that earns like a little bit of extra pocket money, maybe a little side hustle, something interesting, a little bit of a revenue earner that's unusual, or maybe it doesn't even have to be just really simplistic. I'd, I'd love to cover lots of different stories, unusual, uh, very normal. Um, I just want to teach people and show people that there's a whole range of different ways to earn money and you don't have to work a shit job if you don't want to. Um, it just, comes down to degree of effort and creativity and i hope that my podcast just i don't know sparks a few thoughts and ideas and and inspires people just through the stories of others and uh yeah so don't check it out if you haven't already or maybe you know somebody that could get something out of this podcast um while i do all of that leading up to season two I'm also uh, putting out more blog content. So uh, for anybody that's been following the podcast, I have been a little bit relaxed with the blog for a while, but I have a stretch goal to get uh, X amount of uh, blogs done by June, by the time season two comes out, which is basically blogs off uh, the back of each episode that's been released so far. So I've got quite a few drafted, um, and I have the content there. It's just sitting down and actually physically doing each one, which does take a bit of time. They're not great, I will admit, but I enjoy doing them and I believe that there's something in it for everybody. So hopefully, somebody gets uh, something out of these blog posts. But it's my little goal to see, see whether I can do it or not. So, a lots happening with Self Starter. If you've never heard of it before and you're still hearing me crap on about it, go and check it out selfstarter.com.au. We're done. Episode 164 in the bag. There are some absolutely awesome guests coming up. I have recorded a bunch in advance. Uh, January has been action-packed. I have recorded so many. Um, I'm going to New York in February uh, from the I think I fly out on the 21st of Feb and I get back into Sydney on the 5th of March, something along those lines anyway. So if you're from New York, let me know. Um, more than happy to catch up and have a drink. Um, more importantly though, or I shouldn't say more importantly, but also something to think about if you know any anybody that lives in New York, and I'm not talking about celebrities or anything like that, but if you know anybody interesting that's based in New York and think and you think they might be really good for the podcast, let me know. Um, I, I'm going to take my gear over. I don't know whether I'm going to record anything, but, um, yeah, let me know if you've got any suggestions. I have hit up a few lofty people that are based in New York or around that immediate area. And, um, well, you know, you got to be in it to win it. So we'll see what happens, but, um, I would love to consider anybody's suggestions. So if you know somebody that's based over there doing something really cool, could be an Aussie, you know, working over there or, you know, an actual local. So, let me know. Love to hear from you. Um, I am batch recording just so I don't have the pressure of trying to do podcasts while I'm overseas. Um, but obviously if I can record some extra ones while I'm in New York city, then I certainly will do so. Um, but yes, lots of great episodes coming up. Some really, well, what I would think are unexpected guests. Um, but, um, I'll let you guys decide on that, but I'm really excited to share these conversations with you. So stay tuned. Episode 165 is going to be out next week. Until then, share these episodes around, keep supporting the podcast. Um, Thank you so much for listening to me. Crap on right now, um, because I'm just talking and I don't know what I'm about to say in the next word in this sentence, um, except for, okay, I'm, I'm out. Bye. Larry. Larry, please.